I was going through the other night. I was looking for my recipe for homemade English muffins to send to Aaron from Two Chicks. And I was flipping through and I came across Nana Como's seafood chowder. And like I said, she just passed away in October. But I remember 22, 23 years ago deciding I'm going to go to her house. I'm going to buy the stuff and she's going to teach me how to make her seafood chowder. Now, if I never make it again, I have that memory. I have the recipe on paper and I know I can do it. So it's not lost for at least two more generations, right? So just do it with you thinking of it. And that that's part of homesteading is keeping the traditions alive and the, the recipes, right? And, Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life. All that there'd be After our firstborn You had to stay home That's when the work Got in the way for me Well I started Farm hop life You'll come to your farm To help and to wander Me and the family A trunk and an RV Send us a message and there will be. Welcome. I am Matt of A Farm Hop Life, and tonight I'm interviewing Tim Toolman Cook, the Canadian born American. How's it going, Tim? <laughs> Very good, Matt. I was going to try to come up with something witty and smart and smart ass to say, and uh, well, not, none of the above came out. So I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, coming, I feel like I'm also representing. So there you go. Oh yeah, I never even know. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, so I have you on tonight for a lot of reasons. Uh, sure. The one, the biggest one, was that you did a episode that was, was like time to retell my story again, and you went through. Um, it was the only time that I've heard you talk as much as you have about. Um, your experience homesteading in sure. such a short, like in condensed segment, but you went by it really quick. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I need to know all that. Like the two minutes, we need to stretch that out. Like, let's blow that up. Like, uh, I want to, I want to know all about that. So, oh yeah, um, that's what, well, that's what I have you on for. Nice. Well, I'm good at filling space, so I can stretch a two minute <laughs> story into 62 minutes. So no, I, yeah, I, one thing I've realized about that tell your story again thing is no matter how you slice it, there's always new people coming to your content. And um, I learned this from, I don't know if you ever, he's a YouTube gun guy, Paul Harrell or Paul Harrell. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If you know. No, he, he wears this yellow shooting jacket. He's a cool dude. He's been involved in two, uh, unfortunately, lethal lethal uses of force as a civilian. So he, I mean, he knows the stuff anyway. So every time now this is, he's a big deal, of course, but every time he hits a, a new hundred thousand benchmark, he retells his story because there's people that come mm. new. So. But you know, for me, it was like, ah, I hit a, I forget what, it was probably 5,000 or six. I don't I know. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is good because you forget, you know, you really forget that, Oh my, you know, 12 months ago, I covered this topic 
So I can't cover it again. Well, yeah, I can. Number one, I'm not the same person I was 12 months ago. And number two, my audience isn't the same audience. And the people who were here might have heard it, might not have, but I guarantee you they're different too. So I like to go back and yeah, so that, um, where do you want me to start with the story? Just kind of fill you in and get you there or what? Yeah, let's, let's, so you guys, I mean, you were, uh, born in Nova Scotia, raised in North Nova Scotia. Yes. Let's start there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) take me all the way to how you got to homesteading. Sure. So if uh, any anybody who, and I don't blame you if you don't, anybody who doesn't know where Nova Scotia is, it's on the East Coast. It's basically the Canadian version of Maine. Uh, you know, a little, <laughs> little less, I guess maybe New Brunswick's a little closer because they're attached and there's, but anyway, it's that type of thing. So we're, we're a coastal country, a coastal province that you can't go anywhere in the entire province and be more than a hundred kilometers, which is like what 65 miles from the coast. So, you know, there was one year we had a nasty hurricane and they had salt spray from the opposite coast coming through the tree, you know, so hundred kilometers. It's yeah, that kind of thing. So it's a nice place. It's the, as far as the growing season, it's the second warmest place in the whole country. So the growing season now, especially over the last 15 years is, you know, if you're lucky, quite often you could start April 1st and go until November 1st now. So it's a good long season there. Uh, But I I grew up in town. I was a town boy. You know, I had a grandmother who was pretty handy. She grew up during the Depression, so she knew a lot. I heard a lot. My dad grew up on a farm, so I always loved to hear the farm stories. It was fun, you know. He cut his sister's thumb off with an axe when they were a kid. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I always told a story about his best friend. They had a, a manual turnip grinder. I don't know if you ever seen this. So they grind up turnips for the, the pigs, you know, and it's basically like an apple cider grinder, but you get it going okay. really, really fast. And he talked his little sister to throw a live chicken in it. So no way. Yeah, I love <laughs> the farm stories. And so dad was a hunter when I was younger and he would take me uh, deer hunting, which I love because the weather was nice. And then he'd take me rabbit hunting, which I hated because the weather was cold. It'd be like what, February. And we now I love the cold. But so basically, if nobody's ever been rabbit hunting, what that involves is you put on every layer of clothing you own. You take a dog called a rabbit hound out in the woods. You find the ricketyest old tree you can find. You climb up till you're on a limb that'll just barely support you. Then you wait for a dog to chase a rabbit and you'll hear it coming in a big circle. And then you decide the best time to fire a 12 gauge shotgun is when everything's moving and you don't fall out of the tree. And then I get to go get the rabbit because I was the kid. So it was fun. I loved rabbit stew, except when you bite into the shot, you know, the shotgun shot. That oh, was still yeah. Rabbit. But, so, like yeah. yeah. And then dad got busy and got out of hunting. But I, so I had, there was these little, little fingers or little tracks of kind of, you know, outdoorsy woodsy stuff that I loved. And I always, I mean, as a kid, a teenager, we, you know, we were that kind of last generation that was always outdoors. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd go for hikes in the woods. We'd find old abandoned cars and <laughs> smash the windows out of them and, you know, and, and ride our BMX bikes through mud puddles we shouldn't be in. So it was there. Then I went to college and uh, that was what it was. I came home from four years of university and got a high paying job as a night manager at Dairy Queen. <laughs> uh, it wasn't high paying, but anyway. And, uh, the cool thing was I was there and I was, I was learning. I enjoyed it. 
and I got uh, I got a job offer to go work at a, a home hardware, which is, you know, like a true value, kind of a smaller. There's like sure. a thousand of them in Canada. And uh, All right. the reason I took the job and I remember this it was kind of cool because I said, I know nothing about home maintenance. I should have because my grandfather, when he, he died, when I was like five, he could fix anything. So it was in my DNA. I just didn't know. And so, you know what? I figured I just spent $40,000 in four years to get an education I'm not going to use. So why don't I go and get a free education in home maintenance at the hardware store? And it's the, I mean, it's funny how you, you don't realize it at the time because I turned the job down once, but you don't realize how those one spot in your life that kind of, you know, it, it comes to a point and then everything after that point was because of that one decision you made, right? So, right. Anyway, soon after I met love of my life, Becky, and uh, she had, it was kind of cool because her grandmother had bought a farm, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago. She passed away and they moved away, but they had moved to Nova Scotia on a whim, fell in love with the farm. So she had a love for animals. She didn't, she wasn't too much into the slaughtering of animals, but she, she loved, they always had um, a hobby farm that just cost them money and didn't make them anything, you know, basically glorified pets, which was cool. And, but we knew I was the, I got bit by the prepper bug. I don't, I don't even know if I knew to call myself that yet, but, um, I was living in an apartment. Actually, I guess the first thing I did was, um, I was broke as a joke, but I liked beer. So I wanted to learn how to make homebrew. So, uh, and it was horrible, but I learned how to make it. And that was way back then. I had the idea to start, um, a blog called the apartment brewer. I never did it. But that was kind of the, the very first step. And then after that, I decided I wanted to grow, go and pick uh, at the U-Pick strawberries. And I didn't know how to make jam. But I figured if I needed to survive the apocalypse, strawberry jam would be enough. And so I went and I, I talked to my grandmother. I said, can you teach me? Oh, she was, oh, man. Actually, just passed away in October at 100. So this would have been 20 years ago. So she was 80 at the time. And... I said, I know where there's jars. So I went down. So mom and dad's house was built in three pieces. New piece, old piece, old as balls. Can I say that? Anyway, old as balls. Yeah, that's piece. fine. <laughs> and uh, it's like a four foot ceiling and it's dirt. And the pieces are um, that are holding it up are logs, right? So anyway, mom had mason jars in there that hadn't seen the, you know, the light of day since I was four years old. So I brought them out, cleaned the cobwebs out, took them home. And my grandmother taught me how to make strawberry jam. And then, then it went to uh, bread and butter pickles, mustard pickles. And that was about the extent of where I was at when I met my wife. And then again, we were broke. I don't know how many times I can say it, but we were <laughs> like, I mean, beyond. And we, we had three kids at the time. And so what do you do when you have no money and, uh, you want to get by? Well, you're like, well, you know what? It'd be good. Let, let's start homesteading so we can spend even more money and maybe make a little, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're really into be, you know, the idea was we wanted to be self-sufficient. And so our first Fourier into it was, uh, chickens. So I didn't know anything about chickens and I did what everybody did does. And you order your chickens before you have anywhere to put them because you think this will be a great idea. And so we got, I don't know, 20 and have you ever experienced uh, chickens multiply? And I don't mean by having babies, but once you've become known as the chicken person, people give you chickens. They're like, hey, I have five chickens that I don't want anymore. Here you go. And now you have. Thankfully, that's never happened to me. <laughs> it happened to us like 10 times. And that's not an exaggeration. You know, we went from 
Well, plus Becky would always be online and, oh, look, this lady's giving away 10 chickens. So maybe it was more of a, an internal problem than an, an external invite. Problem. Yeah. So we had no, we had no, uh, nowhere to go. And um, so I built a chicken coop from scratch. One of the first things I ever built. Uh, Becky bought me a $30 hammer, which was way out of our budget at the time. And I still have it in my tool bag. So it, it's been, you know, it's uh, it's funny how you hold on to one of those like totems or whatever that takes you back. But I've used that to build a couple of chicken coops, you know, sheds, everything. I resided my whole house with that. So that, that takes me back. And we, so we started with chickens and we let them kind of free range. And so they would lay their eggs everywhere you know, anywhere that you wouldn't think. And we were dealing with frozen weather. So you'd go get them sometimes. And if you didn't get them quick enough, they'd crack. And um, at the same time, oh, and I should mention that um, we had a really big work truck. So that helped a lot. It was a Dodge Neon. And uh, it, (laughs) so we would go to town and get our groceries. And we'd have three kids in the back seat with a little dog named Manny. We'd fill up the trunk with groceries and then we'd go to the feed store and get like four bags of feed and set them on the kid's lap and bring them home with us all at the same time. So <laughs> Were their it legs was asleep by the time you got home? Oh, yeah. It, you know, I, I think we, we had an extra kid we lost one time in a bag of feed. I'm not sure. But <laughs> so it was fun. Um, and then we thought we're not doing enough. So let's try goats. So <laughs> we found this old lady way back in the woods in a place called, well, it was Weymouth was, so Digby where I lived was, you know, like 1500. Weymouth was like 300 and Easton or wherever was like negative four. So that's where she lived. And we went way back in the woods and, and we had no way to bring these goats home. And we ended up buying a mom and her two babies so that we, we would have milk, which was cool. We actually considered putting them in the back seat of our neon thank god we didn't we paid her a little extra and she delivered them but it was cool i remember one of the first times we had um the goats i was at work and becky called me and she's like ah precious is across the street in the graveyard so if anybody's never had goats you will know that does not matter what you build they will find a way to transgress it they will get outside of it so Anyway, we had them for a while. We made, you know, goat's milk soap. We made yogurt, cheese, all of that. And and we were, again, broke. So I had to learn how to clip their hooves myself because they were getting turned in, you know. And this was oh like yeah 2005. So that was pre-YouTube. <laughs> so you'd go on like a forum and be like, how do I do this? And I had, you know, straight cutting um, like tin snips, the yellow ones, aviation oh snips. You I'm didn't. Like, Are you yeah, serious? That'll work. Yeah. So I did. And it worked, except that I snipped one too low and she started gushing blood. No. And of course, we weren't prepared at all. I had no idea what to do. So Becky's on there and we had I think, dial up internet and she's trying to figure out the answer. It turned, you know, cornstarch, for those who don't know, works wonders as a blood clot. So we put it oh. on and she was fine. And yeah, so we learned. I didn't kill her. She didn't bleed to death. And, um, yeah. So then we, uh, that was, yeah, it was soap and, um, oh, we tried like glassing eggs, you know, putting them in like a, a lime, um, like a lime yeah. water solution. We did that. I think that was about the time I got a dehydrator and we, I, I'm, I'm in, I've been into everything at one time or another. Right. And, uh, uh, you made your own water. incubator or something oh, like that. Yeah. I built, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I, I, I twice built my own incubator from scratch, which was a lot of fun. 
for those, if you can picture it, I made a plywood box with a plexiglass door, uh, wire mesh inside for the shelf. I stole an old fan off a computer for circulation. I used 100, two 100 watt incandescent light bulbs for the heat. And then I went to the junkyard and I got a thermostat off of an electric hot water heater. And then I got a digital thermometer that I put in there. And when it got to the temperature that I wanted, I can't remember what it is now, I turned the thermostat to off. So then it would get up, turn off, get on. I made the whole thing for like 10 bucks because I scrounged Dang. everything. Because they were, even then, they were like 100 bucks, And that was so far out of my budget, right? So, yeah, we did that. Um, and we got into canning at that time. I think it was the next house that she bought me a pressure canner. But it was cool. Uh, we did a lot of, um, so we were doing chili sauce, you know, high acid stuff. Because we were just learning how to water bath can, which which I loved. It was it was fun. Um, yeah, that was probably the extent Oh, we did, uh, there was a lot of berries around, so blueberries, and there was a cherry tree, and so we, you know, I made a lot of jellies, got into making a lot of homemade fruit wines, which were a lot of fun. I always loved that, because my goal was always to make, uh, you know, alcohol for the cheapest possible, so I'd make, like, you know, fruit wine, table sugar, and bread yeast, and it was drinkable, let's put it that way, right? <laughs> you watch Trailer Park Boys at all, or have yeah. seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that I, I, like is that called Swish or is that something else? Is that oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, They're like making like the nastiest alcoholic, but like uh, bubbles is like man, it'll get you some drunk or whatever. <laughs> some drunk. Yeah, I, I I've kind of dropped some from my uh, vocabulary, but then if I'm around family from out east for a bit, it'll come right back. But people think <laughs> like it's it's only a slight. Uh, um, like caricature of people. I know people, I know trailer parks just like that. You know, they're, especially the early seasons, it was really close to real life. And then they kind of went, you know, Ned Flanders and ratcheted it up. But yeah, no, yeah, it's, but yeah, that that was the type of, oh yeah, we'd make anything and drink anything. (laughs) But yeah, um, I built an apple cider, Uh, apple cider. Let me see, what what would you call it? A hopper, a, a shredder, you know? So we had a lot of apples, so um, a mincer, like an electro, electric mincer. Okay, yep, yep. So, again, everything at that point, because, you know, we, we had nothing. I had to build it, scratch it, scrape it, whatever. So I built it out of uh, old junk plywood that I found, so the hopper. You got a picture, it's just a hopper like this. And it needs to have a drum in there with some kind of sharp things to tear the apples apart. And then you need something to drive it, like a motor. And that was about it. So I built the hopper. Uh, I got a motor from my buddy, Harry Conrad, had an old washing. He had, uh, he repaired appliances. So I could always get old electric motors from him. I think I bought the pulley and the belt. And I needed to come up with a way to, to make a hopper to shred the uh, apples. So I bought a piece of stainless steel rod and a bunch of stainless steel screws. And I took a piece of maple firewood from my firewood pile. And I paid a guy. I think he had 10 bucks, maybe he ran it out on a lathe to make me a perfect drum for it and drilled a hole through the center. And that, and then I put the stainless steel screw heads in there and it would spin. I mean, you'd never want to drop your hand in it, but that thing would shred apples till there was no tomorrow. Like it was, yeah, it was great. Mm. And we, man, we, we did uh, maple syrup at that, that kind of stage, like 
yeah, we, we made a lot of maple syrup and I was too dumb to know. And I decided it would be smart to boil it down on an electric stove and <laughs> which is, you know, whatever, but the cost of using electricity to boil down sap to syrup. Yeah. It's not, it's uh it's, it's not a winning proposition. So <laughs> we did that. We lived near the ocean. So at the time we got crazy and we tinkered with uh, making our own sea salt so we'd bring home bottles of uh, ocean water, boil it down to make sea salt. That was fun. And at that time is when we really get into gardening. We did a lot of gardening. Um, and then I, we got a pressure canner and learned how to can. That's what I loved. I love pressure canning. was, you know, like potatoes and carrots. And we were doing a lot of vegetables. And then we get into doing fish and different things, pressure canning. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and we did a lot of, um, like making the kids school snacks from scratch too, because we just, we didn't, you know, if, if we could, if we could save a dollar, we would spend two hours to make it because, you know, that's just how it worked. Right. And right. So we'd make everything, homemade English muffins, waffles, tortillas, granola bars, whatever the kids wanted, we would learn how to make from scratch just because we always kept ingredients around. It's a, Apparently, it's a trend on TikTok right now when they say you grew up in an ingredient household, which I guess is just a fancy way to say you just had bare ingredients in the house and you made things. But at the time, that's what we did. Never heard that. That's no, so it's weird. new. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know. The Gen Zs, it's, they, they have weird. That's such a weird, like, flex. Hmm. I know. Uh, <laughs> an ingredient household. Oh, wow. I grew up in an ingredient household, you know. But yeah, it was fun. We did a lot of... I remember one one summer. So in Nova Scotia, you either get a beautiful summer, like a beautiful, hot, some sunny summer, or you get rain. And this one year we had rain all summer. Like it just never stopped. And I put in, um, cucumber plants <laughs> and four days later, the slugs had eaten them right down to a nub. They were gone. And at that time we were living way in the woods, like 20, 25 minutes from a small town in a place called Dosetville and the black flies would pick you up and carry you off. The only way I could garden, <laughs> like it's not, in the, it was miserable. The only way I could garden was in a full bug suit. Like I had to buy, you know, the, that's yeah. disgusting. It was, it wasn't even so worth much. it. Like, you know, and, oh yeah, but we had fun. We did a lot of, uh, you know, we, well, we did firewood too. I, I always, I loved firewood until, the house we bought and then we ended up, I got, I got wore out on firewood, but so we did a lot of that. And, uh, you know, um, the kids really enjoyed it. They would always, um, you know, help stack and split If for anybody who ever heats with firewood. It's, it's a full-time job. You know, you might save some money, but it was, it was always, okay, well, what are we doing now? Well, we're cutting wood, then we're splitting wood, then we're stacking wood, then we're piling wood, then we're cleaning out ashes, <laughs> then we're cleaning up the mess from wood, right? It's, you know, it, it worked. I loved it. it. And there's no heat like wood heat, but it is a, geez, it's at least a part-time job year round to, to do firewood. And the kids always helped. There was one time we had a little trailer on the four-wheeler with uh, independent suspension and I would stack it right full, like four feet high of wood. And then we'd come down the hill and the kids would sit on top of it. And that was fun. But going back up, they'd act like little idiots and they'd jump around and, you know, cause the trailer was empty. And I, I told Olivia, I said, Liv, you are going to fall off that trailer and no, I'll be fine. I said, Oh, I'm just telling you. And about 10 minutes later, I hear Gracie go, Oh my. And Olivia fell over the front of the trailer, 
down in the mud and the trailer ran her right over face down in the mud. And uh, yeah, she, she always had situations, but that's part of the fun, right? <laughs> she always had situations. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I just started getting into hunting at that time too. My dad, like I said, he used to hunt, but it'd probably even been 15 years by then. So we had to, had to find his guns. He had them up in the attic. We dug them out and they had been sitting there forever. He had, I still have some of the 30-30 cartridges that we found up in the attic back then. And they're probably, they were 60 years old then. And I've got a few here that I'll probably never fire just because they're sentimental value. And sure. we did test one and it fired fine. But uh, so I, I inherited an old little 30-30 from dad that his father had. It may have came from the Second World War. I don't know. That, that was the story, but you don't know for sure. And the 12 gauge that we used to rabbit hunt with, I got that. And my favorite is the old single shot 20 gauge that he uh, inherited to me because it's just old and rusty. It, you can tell it's been used, you know, road hard and put away wet over the years. And that was that was dad's favorite uh, rabbit gun for sure was the, the 20 gauge. He loved it. Do you know why he went with a single shot? Just didn't need another shot? <laughs> I think it was because they were so poor, it's all they could afford. You know, mm -hmm. they, 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 everything they bought. Cause I, I'm pretty sure dad bought that 20 gauge himself when he was a teenager. So the, the 12 gauge is beautiful. And actually the 12 gauge is a single shot breakdown as well, but it is just gorgeous. Like it's a, like a piece, you know what I mean? Like it was done yeah. up nice. It has a little bit of engraving in the metal and, but the 20 gauge was a working man shotgun, right? It was just, you know, it was all it was. And it, it was a beautiful it has just kind of a modified choke, so it holds together enough. Doesn't have a lot of kick. It's a it's a fun gun to shoot it. We actually broke it, so I have to get it repaired. My son tried to break it open without fully releasing the break open, <laughs> so I got to take it to a gunsmith at some point. But yeah, I was going to ask if you were going to get that restored or if you were just going to leave it as is. I just I'll probably let it hang on the wall or something. Yeah, I. I'd like to get it fixed so it's operational, but I don't think I'll ever, I'd never re-blue it or redo the, it, it has that, I don't know how to explain it, but. Almost like a patina kind of like. Yeah. And you know how kinda... the old guns, they almost got <laughs> gummy, not gummy, but like the wood gets. It's almost like, sticky. That's exactly. That's what I wanted to say, but I'm like, some people aren't going to understand what I mean, but that's exactly it. Just from use over the years. Right. So that one I'd never, yeah, I would never do anything with and. Yeah, I uh, bought a little 22 to teach the girls on at that time. I think I paid like, I remember 85 bucks for a 22 that didn't have real good sights on it. And yeah, we get into little critter hunting and stuff. And um, and then we, we bought a great big 130 year old house. And that's when we get into like homesteading on steroids. You know, we great big chicken, uh, you know, build a great big chicken run. We did 75 meat birds a year. We did uh, turkeys. We did three. The last year we lived there, we did three, three full pigs. Uh, it was quite fun. I like doing the pigs. We raised them. I'm not going to exaggerate. I don't know if I bought two bags of feed the whole summer. Now, don't do what I did, but I went around to restaurants all summer and cleaned out their green bins. So I would go with my Dodge Grand Caravan and put garbage bags in the back. And I would go like to the Chinese buffet and I would dump out their you know, their um, compost bins, right? And a couple times I got caught and they told me not to do it again. The grocery store used to give me their vegetables, like their old stuff until 
all of a sudden they weren't allowed to anymore. But so, uh, yeah, I rate uh, Tim Hortons donuts. You know, uh, we got Tim Hortons up here, which is like Dunkin' Donuts, but a Canadian institution. Sure. So I would go there because every night they throw their donuts out. And yeah, we, I was like 70 cents a pound. The, the pork ended up costing us at the end of the summer. Mm, we we, we butchered them ourselves. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It's the first time I'd ever dispatched something bigger than a kid bigger than a chicken right up close you know and it's 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 different it's a weird feeling you know i think if it doesn't bother you maybe uh ah, whatever right but it yeah it was and uh the girls they learned how to pluck chickens when they were little so that was really good um i'd say that was yeah we had massive gardens like 50 by 50 we had two or three 50 by 50 plots one that we just did potatoes and we get into drying beans and then we lived right on the ocean, so we fished a lot, and we would can uh, mackerel, and I can't remember the other ones, but we'd can some different fish just to try it. And, uh, it, it was enjoyable, some berries and things like that. And we, I, I built a still, got into moonshining for a little while. That was fun, just because I, I have this like scientific brain that if I want to learn something, I just do it right. And uh, and a lot of times it's not even because I necessarily want to have moonshine around. It's just because I wanted to learn how to build a still and go through the whole scientific process, you know? And sure. So yeah, there was that. And um, yeah, beyond, I was trying to think if there was anything else. We did a lot of hunting down there um, in Nova Scotia. It's really just an excuse to go sit in the woods because there's so few deer that you rarely get one. Like, I mean, hmm. they're so rare that you're allowed to bait deer there and you still never see them. But uh, we built a little deer stand and put up deer cameras and we'd get a picture of one once in a while, but never even got a sniff of one at all while we were there. Huh. So it's just more of like a must be like a social thing or like a family friends kind of just like get yeah. together, hang out. If you get one, you much, even see one, whatever. You pretty much had to live in the woods if you wanted to get one. You know, it wasn't sure. like in, when I moved to Alberta, that was the crazy thing was, I mean, the deer come to you here. Like, they're just it's hard to explain until you come here to see it, but they're just literally everywhere. I mean, they're just jumping out to meet you while you're driving. Like it's, they're just, <laughs> yeah. it they're Yeah. I, I remember maybe my first or second week here working in the oil patch and I seen a herd of well over a hundred deer, like one of the biggest things I'd ever seen in my life. And it was, yeah. So the wildlife out here, yeah, you know, it was good. And so that would have been kind of the end the pause of the homesteading journey the for pause. a bit, right? Yeah. So because, so we had a, a home that was 130 years old on the coast in Nova Scotia. Um, love Nova Scotia. That's where I'm from. That's where my family's from. It's a real hard place to make a living with your family, especially when you make a lot of poor financial decisions and you're poor to begin with. So we, we had to figure out what we wanted to do. And the oil patch was booming, which you know a little bit about the oil patch, don't you? <laughs> A little bit, a little yeah. bit now. So I'm like, oh, well, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they lived out here and they said, you know, you could have three jobs in a day. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I've never done it before. What really motivated me was I ended up um, each year down there, they'd lobster fish and it opened up on the last Monday in November. So they'd always be looking for people to go banded. So basically what that is, is... Um, you know, you work 21 hours, 20, 21 hours a day, make 200 bucks a day to stand there as they dump live unbanded lobsters in these crates. And then as the boat is swinging back and forth, you have to reach into the crate, 
pull out a live lobster and then take these pliers and put rubber bands over the claws while they don't, you know, while you don't fall over, throw up or get snipped by a lobster. Right. So when I finally did the math and I was making like, uh, you know, $9 an hour for my work, I was like, yeah, nah, that ain't worth it. But so anyway. Wait, so did you actually do it for a little bit? Or no? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard, hardest work I've ever done in my life. Like beyond, oh I've gosh. done everything. Um, so the first time I did it, we worked, I think it was nine days straight without a day off. And the longest day I worked was 21 hours. So we would go out um, by day three. You you couldn't see anything. If I could get to sun up, you know, we would leave at two, three o'clock in the morning to go out. And if I could get to sun up, I was good. Once the sun came up, I knew I could last till sun sunset, right? Mm-hmm. But by day three, I came home. So, you know, if you work 21 hours, what do you get? An hour and a half sleep, right? So I told Becky, I said, uh, make me supper, have it ready for me, and I'll eat it in bed. And she came up 10 minutes later. She made me a big pot of craft dinner, and I fell asleep with a spoon in my mouth. It was... <laughs> If you want to know what you're made of, go lobster fishing for a bit. So I did that too. I, I so I wet my uh, you know, I, I got I got used to it. I got introduced to it in May. So in May, all you're doing is landing traps. So you're going out in the nicest weather of the year, sunny days, no stress. And they're like, hey, let's haul in 375 traps. It like takes two days. You bring them in. You just joke around. There's no, you know, you're just emptying out the little lobs, whatever, right? So it's the last day. So then like, well, you did well with landing traps. Why don't you go and uh, go banded? Well, fuck, that's a whole, sorry, that's a whole nother, uh, <laughs> that is the hardest thing, like bar, bar none. I mean, I, I did harder physical work in the oil patch, but there was nothing more uh, physically and psychologically draining than, than the first week of lobster season. It was unreal. And guys do this for decades on end. I don't know how they do it. And the lobster season runs, I think it's six months. I might be wrong. So, the, I mean, the, the, the days shorten down. Go. But those first two to three weeks is when the lobsters are plentiful. So they they fish nonstop. And some guys go out twice in a day, which I don't understand how they do it. So Nothing. anyway, yeah. But that is what got me into going to the, you know, I'm like, oh, if I can do this, I can do anything. So I hop on a plane with no money in my pocket, come out here, sleep on a fold-up cot in my in-law's mobile home living room. They had a new baby and my mother-in-law was living there. So there was no room for anybody, but they were good enough. Got two jobs in the first day. So I picked the one I wanted and uh, got into it. I really enjoyed it. I worked on a co-rod rig for two years and I was working, you know, 130, 140 hours every two, every 11 days. So it was, it was you know, it was good hours, right? The pay was unreal. I mean, I was making, I landed and they paid me $27 an hour and I'd never made more than 13 in my life. So, and that was as a, a store assistant manager at a hardware store making $13 an hour, right? And that was on salary. So you're working 60 hours making 40. So yeah, we come out here, but we decided we were going to live in town because we, we'd always lived in the country. We thought, let's try something different. And so really for about two years, like the homesteading, of course, you're not going to, you can homestead in town, which, you know, is possible, but it's more yeah. difficult. Um, but the whole prepping journey for about two years just went completely by the wayside because life was just, I mean, 
we were just getting our feet under us. We were starting to make some real money. So we're like, oh, we have money. Maybe we don't have, you know, not that we had a lot of money, but you know, $12 is a lot of money when you haven't had any for a long time. Right. Uh, so we had money in the bank, not much, but a little. So all of a sudden you didn't feel so desperate and need to be so self-sufficient. Right. And then about a, about a year, two years in, I thought, you know, I, I could feel, I knew the bug was coming. You know, I hadn't listened to the survival podcast for maybe a year at that point. And I was just kind of everything. We've just been so busy with life. You know, we started traveling a little bit and we started to pay our bills off and, but we were coming and going in two different directions. And, but it's funny how you never, like you never lose it. Right. So then it was, then, you know, it was the smaller things where I would uh, reintroduce my girls to things like how to make bread from scratch. You know, that's always been one of my passions. Took me a few years, but I got a hold of my grandmother's bread recipe so I, I taught them, you know, that skill. And then I got into That's dehydrating. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It was really, I had to, I had to go through all my aunts and ended up my, my aunt who just passed away a few years ago. She's the one who sent it to me. So, uh, that was, I, I cherish that. I have that. And, um, another thing, if, if you ever think I need to go and get a recipe or learn how to do something, go do it today. Don't wait because, I was going through the other night, I was looking for my recipe for homemade English muffins to send to Aaron from Two Chicks. And I was flipping through and I came across Nana Como's seafood chowder. And like I said, she just passed away in October. But I remember 22, 23 years ago deciding I'm going to go to her house. I'm going to buy the stuff and she's going to teach me how to make her seafood chowder. Now, if I never make it again, I have that memory. I have the recipe on paper and I know I can do it. So it's not lost for at least two more generations, right? So just do it with you thinking of it. And that that's part of homesteading is keeping the traditions alive and the, the recipes, right? And so also just like kind of knowing what your grandparents had to go through to get there. Cause I'd be very surprised if anybody's grandparents that, you know, any of your followers or whatever, didn't have a hard life. You know, I, a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to visit my grandparents in Southern Minnesota and I'm just like, tell me about this place. Like you guys have been here 50 years. Like, how'd you get here? And they're like, you really want to know? Like, that was a weird question. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, let's hear it. And so uh, they they did live in town in Rochester. And then they moved out to this uh, this farm here. Like it needed tons of work. Like nothing, pretty much nothing worked. But my grandpa really wanted it or something like that. And so he spent their last two or three dollars to buy a board at the hardware store just to hold up the kitchen sink oh <laughs> don't you love that <laughs> like that man lived a hard life i mean he's still he's still kicking but uh man he's i talked to him uh the other day and the another job that he had he was uh trimming trees and <laughs> he goes that is the hardest work i've ever done and i'm thinking that says a lot coming from you because He's just like, he's been farming his whole life. And so like, that's just hard on by itself. And so for him to say um, that that was a hard job. Oh yeah. Speaks that, volumes. I love it. I, you know, I, I didn't realize it. I, I've come, I, my passion in life is stories. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun for me to be able to tell my story once in a while, because I love to sit down and, and listen to you have the most boring life in the world. I promise you, if we sit down 
and I ask you a few questions. By the time you're done, your eyes are going to be lit up by listening to someone else's story. So I always love to go and, and do that. And I, I used to, like my grandfather, he fought in the Second World War. And of course, I was little. And I wanted to hear all about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about PTSD or anything like that. So I would always ask him all the questions, you know, you know, like five-year-old boy, do you ever kill anybody? You know, and you think, and he was always patient and he would tell me things, right? Like not, I'm sure there's things he, you know, he didn't tell me, but he never got mad for a guy who was an angry dude. Like he was always patient with the stories he told me. And mm. my grandmother was the same way. Like she still had, they got married in. I think the late thirties or early forties and they, they still had the, um, the, like the darkening shade. She had these dark green military shades. She would pull down every night and they did that during the second world war, just in case that, you know, German planes or something decided they wanted to come to Nova Scotia. I mean, there were subs and things that came right up the coast there. So it was a, it wasn't completely out of the ordinary, but I mean, growing up, even into the 90s and early 2000s, she still had all of the original appliances they bought in the 40s when they got married. Like, you'd, you'd go into her kitchen, and she had one of the pull-down handle fridge doors. I can still hear the noise. <laughs> That's that it awesome. Like, it was like a rubber seal and a mouse squeaking at the same time every time she'd open it, right? And you could hear the dollars going out. Like, for somebody who was as miserly as she was, she kept that fridge forever. And but man, yeah. I bet when you closed that fridge door, it had a nice like clunk, like, oh. like closed latch, like sounded solid. Like there, there was those, um, the, the, um, what do you, oh, I can't think of what, like the stories, the, the urban legends of when we were a kid about the kids getting locked in fridges and dying. And that's what, you know, that would have been one of those fridges. Like you get in there, you could have survived the nuclear bomb. I'm sure. Like there was no, yeah. That Wasn't that uh, was Indiana Jones movie? That's right. Yes, it was. Yeah, I knew there was something. Because it like, has like lead in it or something. Yeah, the old, I think the old ones did or something. I mean, they were made, you, you'd need three people to move them. But the, the old people's stories are, they're important, you know, just to, to mm -hmm. learn and listen and hear because I, it's cliche. You've heard it a few times now. And I, I want to say it's a Viking thing. I'm not sure. But they, you know, they say your first death is when you die. And your second death is when everybody who ever knew you has now passed away. And so if we can keep those stories and those skills and those traditions, whether you do it in a, you know, a, 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 an apartment in New York City or, you know, in an 80 acre spread in North Dakota, like if you're keeping the old ways alive and, and, you know, I don't mean like dying of tuberculosis, but I do mean, you know, knowing how to maybe milk a goat or milk a cow, because that's something I had to learn when I first did it, you know, and yeah. um, baking bread yeah, that you would think, but I'll bet you, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess three quarters of the population wouldn't know how to make bread from scratch. Maybe it's higher than that. That's I me. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Right. I mean, yeah. so you, just because I pick that, right. I, it was Marshall McLuhan. It's one of my favorite quotes, but he, he paraphrasing here, but he said, when, when man learns to shoot a gun, he forgets how to shoot a bow and arrow. Now mm, yeah. a gun's more effective, but you know, I mean, what happens if there's a gunpowder shortage and all of a sudden nobody knows how to fire a bow and arrow. So the one guy who knows is, you know, King of Turd Island, right? So you, those kind of <laughs> things are, are good to know because you never quite know what could happen, right? Yeah, that's very true.
So you guys made it to Alberta. Yes. That's where you're at now. Yes, we've been here, geez, almost a decade. It'll be a day. So next January will be 10 years since we moved here. And it was, a, like I said, it was a big step. And the cool thing was 12 months into our trip here, just as we are our, our journey to Alberta, since we we're here, uh, you know, we were making good money. My wife was making good money. And the worldwide price of oil collapsed. So <laughs> we went from things being really good to being really, actually, that's why we started prepping again. Because uh, we're, my wife was on vacation, first day of vacation, we were getting ready to take a little trip to Las Vegas, and they called her in on her day, her vacation, and you know that's a bad day, to lay her off before we went on vacation. So, she lost her job, a year later I lost my job. That's yeah. such a dick move. Hey, you know what, it was, this, this is how it worked at that point, this is the craziest, I've never seen anything like it. I get a call from my boss, Mark. He's in Lloyd Minster, an hour and 10 minute drive away. He says, I need you in Lloyd now to deal with paperwork. It was like some women's crap or something. It was the most important thing in the world. It took me about an hour and a half to get there. By the time I got there, he was no longer employed with the company. So <laughs> yeah, this ha I went through three supervisors in three months. They were just boom, 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 laid off, laid off, laid off. Like the guys, they were cutting. I... It was unreal. I couldn't believe it. Like he called me and he was like, it was the most important thing in the world for me to show up to fill out this paperwork. By the time I get there, they're like, yeah, they just walked him out. I'm like, are you serious? Yep. He's gone. I was like, okay, here we are. Hmm. So uh, they paid for my class one. I got in just under the, the wire. I went to get my big truck license. You know, there was another girl in another department of the same company I was with. Uh, she went to the first class and they pulled her out the next day because they shut down all training because of, you know, the crash in price. Anyway, I managed nobody. I guess they never thought about me. I managed to get through. So I, I passed mm. everything and got my class one just before they laid me off. So that was good. Just in case I ever need it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so we got that. I guess that's what got us kind of back into prepping. I, this is probably the most serious we've ever been into preparedness since we're, I mean, we've always been prepared because we always wanted to make sure our kids had food. And, you know, we always joked about having the uh, toilet paper closet. You know, if we had nothing else. We had a closet full of, you know, 30 packs of the cheapest Walmart toilet paper we could find because we'll be damned if our kids are going to, you know, have to use the Sears catalog like my dad always used to have to do. Right. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they, yeah. True story. They used to, they, they, they'd look through the Sears catalog and then they'd use it in the outhouse. So. Yeah. I guess it's, uh, I mean, it's like an old like stereotype, right? In the TV shows and movies came from it, somewhere. It sure did. I mean, dad got one ice cream a year when he graded high school or graded as, you know, he made it from one grade to the next. Like that was, they, they had nothing. So they, they were poor, poor, poor. So I've, it was cool. I had, it was actually really neat. But last summer I had my dad on my show talking about growing up in the fifties and sixties is one of the coolest you know, I mean, just to have your dad on the show, but he was here. Like I, he flew out to Alberta to be with us for a couple of weeks and he got to sit in the office with me in the studio here. That was cool. He shared a lot of really neat old timey stories that, you know, I maybe heard some of before, but I'm, I know there was things I hadn't heard before. Sure. But yeah, so we, we have lived in what I would call a town living ever, ever since we got here. But we've done a lot. Um, recently, the last couple of years, I've built wicking beds, which if anyone out there has ever wondered 
well, first off, they might wonder what the heck a wicking bed is. But uh, if you don't know what it is, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I screwed up the first one. So uh, even the tool man, <laughs> yeah, here I am, the rock, talking about myself in the third person. But a guy who goes by tool man <laughs> on YouTube can screw things up royally. So I, we wanted to build a, a raised wicking bed. And so for those who don't know, wicking bed is like aggregate in the bottom, gravel, some sand. You put uh, perforated four-inch sewer pipe or something in the bottom. It's basically like a reservoir that'll hold water and you bring it up to the side. Then you put soil on top. So I put reinforced wire mesh and then some boards going across. And I got about three shovelfuls of soil left. So it went gravel, sand, soil. I throw the, the level of soil in there and boom, the whole thing collapses. So it happened. Yeah. So remember, right? But anyway, the next year I built new ones on the ground and yeah, if, if you live in a dry climate like we do, where literally the wind just pulls moisture out of the ground, wicking beds with a mulch cover are the best combination you will ever find. I bet you I only had to water my garden, my, my bed, maybe three times all summer last year. Hmm. So you, you fill it. I mean, you've got four inches. Oh, and you line it with pond liner or whatever, but you got four inch perforated pipe that makes a full circle in the bottom of the four by eight bed and then it comes up and then you fill it until the water overflows the top and then the water wicks from the bottom up to the roots so you lose nothing through evaporation and then you put mulch on top and it holds everything in so the wind can't get in anything either supercharger growing just awesome yeah it was great i had i'll have to keep that in mind we uh just had a guy come out to the property <sighs> probably like a month ago and then he did like a follow-up on nice. sunday uh and one of his ideas was like one for rain catchment but also two like another way to grow was uh timber frame ponds and i never thought of doing timber frame ponds here um i mean obviously you're in canada you're more north than me but i'm in i'm in montana so sure like, well it's not that far yeah we're it'll, yeah. it'll freeze oh yeah uh, I for guess sure and so I'm like, hmm, I never, just never considered it. And so I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, six months, well, I don't know, four or five months of the year, um, you know, you can get away with it here. And then the other, the rest of the year, you know, if you have, I, I'm not sure. In Nova Scotia, it was very common to have ponds that would freeze most of the way to the bottom. Now here, we have a three- more than a 10 foot frost line. So I was looking at putting a below ground rain catchment in here and yeah, the top of the tank <laughs> needs to be 10 feet below the ground. So it was, yeah, it was crazy. So, uh, uh we got into, feet. yeah, I know I, I called, I, I, I thought it was a misprint on the government's website. So I called and they're like, no, you, you live in a 10 foot frost zone. I'm like, cause I grew up where there was three feet and that was, overkill now we haven't had that probably in three or four years here but yeah can you imagine 10 feet so i want i wanted to put a you know a big i don't know maybe 500 gallon maybe a thousand i don't know down underground so that i would have water and then i, I was going to gravity feed it into the basement and anyway i'm not doing that that's too far <laughs> 10 feet so I'm whatever i was right? gonna but, say how do you even like get down down that far because i mean even those like big ditch witches that have like the tracks, those only go six. Uh, 
boat, the best you could do would be, you know, if you had a skid steer or a mini excavator and you built yourself a ramp down to it so you could dig down and then bring the material out. Yeah, I'm, yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> That's so much work. So, what do you guys do for? Oh, I lost what you, you got... for a second. I said, "What'd you do for what?" What do you guys do for like uh, running water lines underground? Do you have? To... I mean, you're gonna have to go that deep. Yeah, yeah, they have to be over ten feet deep. So wow. we, yeah, um, so this house here was a rental that I helped fix up, and then we ended up buying it. So I helped the owner at the time. Well, there was always <laughs> we got a couple water. of comments. Oh, what did we get? That's a that's depot. depot, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, and that's Chris Dixon Chris said they need to adjust the numbers for that frost depth that hasn't been that deep in decades. Yeah, and he's not wrong about that. That's what I mean. We don't even have frost this year because we got snow on the ground. But yeah, it it hasn't got there. But that is what we are in a ten foot frost zone, which is you know uh, insane. But that's crazy. yeah. So our we had standing water out for us. We had to replace the sewer and the and the um, water line to this house. And he had a mini excavator that almost we had to dig the last little bit by hand. It couldn't reach the bottom of the hole. So that tells you how far down it was. It was just awful. Wow. That's but, that's crazy. Uh, we did Comfrey this year. So Chris Dixon, he came up um, and brought me a bunch of Comfrey plants that just grew gangbusters in my wicking beds. So we made Comfrey salve this year. Last year, we've been doing um, vermicomposting. So I've got I've got one worm bin left now. We we picked them up during like the first month of COVID. So we've been doing those for about three years. Um, crack key. If you've ever you ever frigged with crack key or yeah. No, uh, I wanted to, but then uh, I got distracted by something else. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I do but... too. I'm, my my thing is that when I get interested in something, I might as well embrace it because I until I scratch that mental itch, that's all I can think about. So we did crack key bins or crack yeah so they're like a you know a rubbermaid tub for those who don't know and you got a bunch of holes in there and it's a closed system with no pumping you just put nutrient and water and then the roots chase the water down the only thing you need is grow lights and it was oh i loved it we had the best romaine lettuce i, I grew 48 heads in my office right here so where i film had pink lights and it worked but, I was yeah. just going to respond to this comment here quick from sure. Chicken Hawk. Uh, he said, it seems like it would be better and cheaper to make a mound than to dig that deep. So they actually do do that for septic systems sometimes if the ground water is too high. You have yes. to build it up. The problem with building a mound for something like water is you're building it out of disturbed soil, which really doesn't have the same in insulatory properties as undisturbed soil right so sure. when you're digging a hole in the ground you have all this compacted soil whereas when you build a mound you've got all this loose soil that is going to be really susceptible to hot and cold transfer so it can take a few years for that mound to settle in settle. i've been researching geosolar lately which is like a combination of geothermal and solar so it's really kind of cool i've been doing this store this um podcast series on the history of modern preparedness so tomorrow night's the 1960s and i've been reading about this guy named don stevens who was uh, famous in the retreater movement so basically they wanted to retreat from society and he invented this concept called geosolar 
which is basically building these huge mounds around the foundation of your home, putting big pipes in there, and then using solar heat to store it with a, like a closed loop system that would actually store the heat in there until wintertime. And then you could draw it out using in-floor heat. So it was a way that we always used to joke, too bad you couldn't capture the sun in the summer, use it. Well, this is what this dude was doing legitimately. So it was kind of cool. I'm going to have to give that a listen. I'm so far behind. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I've got like uh, probably a hundred in my queue. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't ever worry about it. There's lots of guys I'm like, I'd love to let them. I don't have time, you know. But. I did catch your, uh, your, you've been doing the, uh, the Last of Us recap. Uh, yeah. I've been enjoying that. And I just cool. uh, watched episode three the other night. So I'm going to have to catch your follow up and see what you said about uh, Frank and Bill. Oh, I love that episode. I that was a good one. It. I it made me cry just a little bit. I, I teared up at the end, but it was <laughs> it was such. I know we're going on a, a, a tangent here, but it was such a masterful piece of storytelling. It was it was an epic in the true sense because you know we all use the word epic now, but epic means a story told over a long period of time, and that's exactly what that was. And it was cool because you know it was a prepper. Yeah, he was a little bit off his rocker, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't an unfair depiction of somebody who was prepared you know he was sure. actually a prepper who won <laughs> in a sense so it was cool i loved it yeah, it was great so yeah yeah it was it was really well done i i had no no i was yeah um i just i thought of another project solar so i put uh so you know now that you've interviewed me and I, i'm talking about homesteading i'm realizing that i'm doing a lot of that stuff here you just don't call it homesteading when you live in town right so I, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I've interviewed that homestead in town. Like they, yeah. they rock it well. Uh, it, you know what? This was, I don't know. This was really friggin' cool. So I get a call the other day from the library here in town. And uh, the local librarian said, uh, she goes, I hear you have some sort of vlog or something on prepping. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a vlog. So anyway. Um, Does anyone still call it that? Just that librarian? Uh, well, 60-year-old librarians do, right? But it was a huge right. honor. So she's like, I'm concerned about food shortages. I'd like you to come in and talk about practical preparedness. And I'm like, yeah, I will. I mean, I was stoked because I'm thinking, this is what you want. This is where you want to go in and chat with people who are maybe open to the gospel of preparedness, but haven't accepted it into their heart yet, you know? So that I'm, I'm stoked. It's going to be in March. I'm going to put together a real practical preparedness thing. And yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. That sounds awesome. That sounds like an awesome community building thing. And like uh, that's, it's yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. So I, I digressed, but the reason I said that is I've been toying with the idea. Chickens aren't legal in our town or they're, you know, officially outlawed through bylaws. I've been wanting to fight that for a while and I know I could get it fought, but I haven't, you know, haven't bothered. Anyway, the librarian said, right, would you be interested in helping me pass a, a bylaw for chickens? I'm like, yeah, I will. <laughs> so I'm going to slap bees on there too, because a lot of the towns around here are like chickens and bees are okay now. So even if I don't get chickens, I want the freedom to be able to have chickens and I want my neighbors to have the same freedom, right? There so, you go. So yeah, it's coming. We'll get it. I, you know, I have no doubt. Um, 
solar. So I put in uh, right, right. two 100 watt because I wanted to learn, right? I put two 100 watt solar panels on my storage container, uh, built a, a four, I got four group 27 deep cycle batteries. So I built a little battery bank in my garage. And then I was like, oh, let's see what I can do. So I can run my whole garage furnace, all my plugs, my LED bulbs, and my DeWalt battery charger all off the battery bank for a while if I need to. But all summer, 100% of my DeWalt batteries were charged from solar. So that was pretty cool. And some people might think that's not a lot. But when you run everything lawn care off a DeWalt platform, we did pretty darn good with that. You could get like a little green energy, uh, Four Seasons Maintenance, green energy, certified, oh, yeah, whatever, sure blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I wish I could, but I, I've yet to find a uh, battery-powered backpack blower that will work in Albert and cold. So you have to and, make one. Have, yeah. What's that? Do you have to just make one? I'd love it. I, yeah. If, if I could find one. It would weigh it, 80 pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, and it, it would need to have the runtime and the power. I'd be all over it because I hate two strokes are nasty. I mean, you, when I come in, I smell like, you know, an oil jug because, you know, and they're loud, you know, that high pitched. So if I had a yeah. battery one, I could walk anywhere and do snow at four o'clock in the morning then nobody would care because, you know, it's quieter than a vacuum cleaner. But does it have to be backpack? Because doesn't DeWalt make like this big, like 650 CFM, like handheld? I own thingy? it. It's, it's not great. It's okay. No? Okay. I, I don't exactly know how they can call. I don't know. I, there's some, some funny business with the numbers because sure. I own the top of the line still backpack blowers and they're maybe a thousand CFM, I think 950 or 1050. I mean, they, they're incredible, but you can't tell me that that handheld DeWalt is only 400 or 300 less. Like I use it all the time. We use it for cleaning up grass. I use it for cleaning up my garage, but it's not designed to blow any amount of snow at all. Like, sure. But, gotcha. Right on. Yeah. Uh, my latest passion is styrocrete. So I had Brian Norton on my show the other day, scrambling Bojang, you know, scrambling from, he informed me of this thing he's been testing, which is, so if you, if anybody knows how you build, you make concrete, you, you go and buy Portland cement, which is just the cement powder. And then you add aggregate to it, whether it's sand or gravel and then water. Well, what styrocrete is, and you can incorporate aircrete too, which is a whole nother thing, but you don't have to. You're basically replacing some or all of the aggregate, your sand or your gravel with chopped up styrofoam so you know styrofoam when you break it up it turns back into those little balls of styrofoam you're using that as the aggregate so you put mm. that in the, the uh, concrete then you add water and you can make bricks or you can make walls with a little bit of reinforcing there's a cool youtube channel on it so i started collecting styrofoam that's my next so that's what you were talking about in the oh. telegram chat i popped in for just a second <laughs> and i'm like what why would anyone want to make a big mess like that? And I know people are like saying, make beanbag chairs out of it and let the kids roll around on them. And you're like, Hey, that's not a bad idea. So I need to figure out a way to, to, to turn it back into those styro balls, you know, but mm. it's, it's surprisingly, if you make bricks out of it, it has, I don't want to say the same, but pretty darn close to the same structural strength as concrete with maybe a 10th the weight. So my plan is huh. to learn the prod, learn it, do a podcast about it, do some videos about it, 
and then make a generator enclosure because I also need to build one of those. So I'm going to build one out of Styrocrete if it works. Hmm. So it's a pretty cool off the grid, um, you know, like uh, technology or, or skill set that you could learn. Yeah, you're gonna have to film it like those videos of like those kids in like India or whatever, like making clay bricks, like where they just have like thousands of them, like all in front oh, of them. Oh yes, I'll be happy if I can get four to start with, you know. But yeah, you should film it in a way where it looks like you did a ton of work and there's only like four sit in front of you. Yeah, yeah, get right down <laughs> on the ground and make it. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. Be like, oh, I'm so beaten. It took me like four minutes, you know. <laughs> Uh, so bypassing most of my questions, um, sure. which is totally fine. No, this has been tons of fun. Let's see. So for you, you don't, I'm, I'm still trying to get a little bit into like your mindset, right? Sure. You're good luck. <laughs> you're, you're cut. You, you didn't call it prepping at the time when you started, but you wanted to be like prepared for like, a job loss or, you know, because you didn't have money or because, and you wanted to learn these things. So mm -hmm. is that kind of, is that kind of the realm of where you were, where you got started? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't even, I'm not, yeah. So for sure, it, it's funny because the whole journey just kind of happened. You know, I don't even know. I think that I finally realized that what I was, was a prepper when I finally came across somewhere around, you know, 2012, 2013, when I, I don't even know if it was because of the survival podcast. I think I was already in that mindset and went looking for something. And then that's where it clicked. I don't know. Sure. But yeah, it was, it was a bit of, you know, it was a, a bit of, I need to learn this because I, there's no other way because I have no money. It was, I want to learn the old skills. I always wanted to learn something new. And then when we had kids, then it became, well, I'll be damned. We're not going to the food bank. We need to grow it or save it or store it or, you know, preserve it. So yeah, that's certainly where it came from. And then it kind of led into being more intentional about being prepared. Gotcha. What would you say has been the biggest challenge you faced in dealing with prepping or homesteading? There's probably a thousand things for me. Again, I, I don't necessarily think maybe I have ADHD, but I have something, you know, I, I remember when Jack <laughs> did that episode on the modern Renaissance man. Yeah. And because I always, I, I really did. I always thought there was something wrong with me. Because in even in high school, I could never stick with a hobby. You know, I would get infatuated with whatever my latest interest was. And I would read everything, buy all the stuff, whatever it took. And then I would drop it like a bad habit once I learned. Sure. Once, once that itch was scratched, you know, if I became 80% an expert on something, then I moved on to the next thing, right? I thought that was the wrong way to live. Well, it turns out that a lot of people are that way. And so embracing that helped a lot learning how to curb that a little bit by maybe not spending on certain uh, interests immediately letting them fester or coming up with ways to do it but for me it even still it's it, it is the wanting to do it all but needing to focus or uh, 
you know, bring that to a point, right? Because that really, and that might sound cliche and and I I don't want it to, but that is really my biggest struggle. Even to this day is I always, always, always feel, well, I mean, here's my, I use an an agenda every single day and I put um, what I need to do. I, I have a theme for the day, whether it's property management, whether it's right now the daycare renovations or content creation. Those are my three days. That's all I have. And then days off and everything needs to fit into that. Because if I don't put it on paper, I never feel like I've done enough. I could work from sunup to sunset and I still think I should have done more. So for right. sure, that has always been my personal psychological internal struggle is uh, you wish you'd, you're always thinking, oh, I can do more. But no, you need to you need to learn how to focus that. And I, I've gotten better at it for sure. I've heard you talk about that a little bit. Um, and I've heard Brian from the last project talk about that. And I was like, man, I thought something was wrong with me too. But here are all these other people that, you know, just, you know, like to dabble into this. And they kind of like, eh, not, now I'm bored of that. I'm going to go go over here and do this. And so it, I, I definitely have that bad. <laughs> it's cool. It, But you know what's It is kind of cool. I, I We've all... Without knowing we were all like that, we were all attracted to one another. We've all become part of this larger, you know, anarcho community that is just like, you know, entrepreneurial minded. And we're all like, oh, look, a squirrel. You know, every one of us are that way. And I don't know why that is, but it's the craziest thing because you can, you'll have people that you've known and connected with online for a lot of years, but maybe never talked about that one issue. And then you start chatting about it. You're like, yeah, that, that's how I am. So for some reason, there's this under underlying uh, energy or attraction to one another that we might not even know that we do that. But when you realize that that's cool and it's totally okay and there's nothing wrong with you. And if somebody's out there listening, thinking, holy crap, I didn't know that. Well, it's true because that was, I remember I was in this house the day I heard that concept. Because I would just started my business. I was doing renovations. I was laying floor in the living room up there. And that's the day Jack did that episode on the modern renaissance man. And the whole idea of it's okay to be interested in something and then move on to something else. And it completely freed me. You know, it didn't happen overnight, but it sure helped. So does that, how does that freedom tie into entrepreneurship then? Well, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, I, I, I personally, you know, I have my, because I make lists and I create content and, you know, I like to teach. So I have what I call the pillars of modern preparedness. They're all written down. Don't ask me to recite them all right now. But my top one is definitely, one of them is entrepreneurship because it gives you the freedom, you know, the freedom to make your schedule, the freedom to make or not make certain choices that you may or may not want to make. It gives you the freedom of income, you know, so all of those are, are into that. Now, that whole mindset of being interested in one thing or another can be tricky in entrepreneurship because what happens is if you get really good in making money at something and then all of a sudden you're not interested in it anymore, no matter how hard you try, it can be a real challenge to stay motivated in that. Sure. So I've had to curb that quite a bit. Now, some of the ways to mitigate that or to be <laughs> to do what I did and become a serial entrepreneur where you're always doing something new. Now I still, you know, from day one, I've done snow removal. And for some reason I love going out at 
five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And just, it's so satisfying. I've always enjoyed it. I love going out, but there's a lot of things that I used to do that I don't do anymore. Uh, partly because I lost interest, partly because more so because I could make more money doing less by picking other jobs. Right. Uh, but yeah, so in entrepreneurship, if you're that type of person, either, um, learn new skills, that's really important. So, you know, try new things, but also stretching yourself even. So if, if you become a handyman and that's what's making money, putting, you know, food on your kids' tables, then what you can do is like what I say, the 10% rule, always take a job on that's 10% more than you've done before so that you're always stretching yourself and learning something new. Because for me, if I can't go to something completely new, if I can learn a new skill or physically make myself a little uncomfortable, that helps a lot for sure. Gotcha. One one thing that you said that you've done, man, that really just blew my mind is when you do aeration for lawns is that you rent the one piece of equipment for like a couple hundred bucks and do everybody's lawn all the same day and bring in like uh, whatever it was, like a thousand plus bucks, like, you know, just in a single day. And I was like, that is like, just be able to stack, stack that. It was pretty genius. I thought it take, you know, I mean, the first summer I did it, I might've done two lawns. Right. And they're like, you know, yeah, it works great now, but there were times when I would rent the thing for, it used to be like 85. I think it's like 110 now who knows why, but anyway, so, you know, there were times I rented it for more than the job cost me to do or that I made, but it was for a customer or I wanted to be able to offer that service. I don't recommend doing that. But then, you know, yeah, I I think at the busiest summer I had, I believe I booked 13 jobs in one day. So at $100 a pop, so you do the math, it's $1,300 for an $85 rental. So it, you know, um, I'm doing that more with a skid steer now. So I'll, you know, three, $4,000 job. I'll rent a skid steer for two days for 500 bucks. Right. So that's a yeah. great way to extend yourself with oats, buying more equipment or having equipment that you'd only use once a year that you're tripping over for the other 364 days. Man, that's, that's wild. Um, tiller's another thing, a garden tiller. You know, I've never made that much money with them, but I've made $500 in a day for a $75 tiller renter, rental. Mm-hmm. So think about that, you know, and the crazy thing is, you know, if you own a tiller, how many times a year do you use it? Two, probably two at the most. So that means that for the rest of the year, you're tripping over that tiller, right? You need to maintain it. You need to winterize it, dewinterize it. You need to hope it's going to start. The great thing about a rental place is you wash it off, you fill it full of gas, and it's ready for you to go the next time. They take care of all the maintenance, the storage, and you don't have to ever pay out of pocket more than what sure. it's going to cost you for the day. Yeah, that's that's something that's been very valuable here because, like, I don't, you know, I don't have a garage. Like, I don't, sure. I don't oh, have right. anywhere to store it. Like, I, I built a shed out of pallets that they ship hot tubs on. Big eight by eight pallets. Nice. I built a, sh- a shed out of one. And uh, it does okay. Uh, right now, it just holds a lot of junk and mouse poop. So, maybe someday we'll get a garage. But there's no, there's no, I don't have a snowblower. I don't have a weed whacker. I don't have any of that stuff. 
it would remind me though of uh have you seen those videos on tiktok where the guy goes around with like an edger or whatever and cleans up driveways and oh yeah those those guys are like weird like why would you why would you do that i can't <laughs> figure it out they're i don't know i'm maybe he runs a business there's no way i mean maybe he makes ad dollars i Man, I'm going to sound like a dick, but my time's too <laughs> valuable to go do that. You know what I mean? Like I, sure. I, I, I don't. I mean, I will help people. You know, I will, but I'm not going to spend. I don't know. I, that's just me. I'm sorry. I'm it just looks not like gonna, half a day that it takes yeah. them to get that done. I know, and they're constantly making content. So I, I don't know, right? So right, right. So you've had a big, you had a big purchase recently. You bought land down oh, in Tennessee. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, what one? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's been, it's been crazy. So yeah, so that was huge. That was that was such a cool thing. What what pushed you over the edge to finally pull that trigger? I guess a few things, but to back up a year. Um, yeah, Chris Dixon says it's for clicks, likes, and monetize. Oh, he's talking. I thought he meant me buying the land. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm so full of myself. I think he's talking about me. So, yeah. So, okay, go back to April of last year. I mean, I've been part of the extended survival podcast community for, well, it'll be a decade now. And, you know, I was into the Zello group maybe five years ago, got to know people. That's how I first met Nicole Sauce. She had me on her podcast February of 2020. So just over three years ago when I launched my YouTube channel. So we were friends. We were acquaintances. We all had something in common. So if you're ever thinking, do I need to meet my imaginary internet friends in real life? The answer is yes, all day long, unless they're a weirdo. But so you got to take a chance, right? So we went to yep. her event last year. And, you know, my wife and I, we have our, our, our relatives, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. They're our best friends. But other than them, that's really all we had here. So I remember leaving Nicole's, uh, it was uh, Saturday night after dark, walking down the hill to our car. And I kind of, you know, I was, it was sad because I knew we were leaving everybody that we really cared for. But Becky, my wife, who, um, you know, she's been into it, but not like I am. She said, "Hun, we met our people. We found our people. Well, I still get chills thinking it, right? So... That was the first step. And when we left, like, I'm not kidding. We were in the hotel room over the next couple of days. I think maybe it was the first night we were home in our house here. She was on Zillow looking for land in Tennessee. She's like, you know, we need to find something. So anyway, then it kind of passed. We knew we wanted it. So then I went to Prepper Camp in North Carolina in September, then Self-Reliance Festival in September, October. And when I came home, I knew, you know, I went to... If you've never been to TAC Response, I went four days in Tactical Response, which is in Camden. I went to John Willis's compound, and I was, that was it. Like, I knew we needed land. And it's, we've always wanted something else, something apart or away. And so this, what this does is it scratches the itch of uh, a vacation property that'll be a vacation property until it needs to maybe someday be more than that. I don't know if it yeah. never does great. I'm happy with that. But, um, you know, it's something I can go spend six months of the year on at some point if I need to. It can be a, a winter getaway for us. But more so, it puts us right in the heart of all of our people. And it gives me, a, you know, it gives us a chance to kind of build something a bit off grid. And yeah, that so 
I think com- coming back from Self-Reliance Festival and Prepper Camp is definitely what put me over the edge. Spending that, it, it's the longest I ever spent stateside at one time. It's like 18 or 19 days, which, you know, whatever it was, what it was. But, um, and I was away from my family. So I was by myself. First time I've ever gone that long other than to come out here, but, you know, to, to go down and speak at events and, and man, there is something about Tennessee that the place just drips of freedom. Now I know every place has its own, you know, misgivings or whatever, but sure. there's something special about Tennessee. I love every minute I'm there. I just, I feel like I'm a bit home, you know, I know that's weird, but I love being there and the people and the mindset. And yeah, so we, we bought 10 acres of basically undeveloped land with trees and it's, it's got a, it's got um access like a dirt road going to it. And there are power lines there if we need to get power at some point, but other than that, it's, you know, it's like 45 minutes South of Camden. So it's in the woods and, but I, I'm excited. I can't wait. No house, no septic, no well. Nothing. So we're nothing. I'm, nice. Yeah, I'm going, going down in April. I'm speaking at um, uh, Living Free in Tennessee Spring Workshop again. We're going to meet Brian from the Lots Project and Carrie Brown from Strong Roots Resources. We're going to go walk the property and we're going to get a plan for what we're going to do. And then my insane wife is like, "Well, honey, why don't you go down there for six or seven weeks?" Okay, so I'm going in. Uh, right after Labor Day. And I'm going to be there from Labor Day till at least the middle of October, maybe closer to the end. So, you know, six to eight weeks, I'll be down there. I'm going to be speaking at three events. And then in between that, I'm going to be working my little tail off, you know, building a, um, like a, a two bedroom, three season house property. And we'll see where we go from there. That sounds awesome. I'm when still... Is- so have you guys stepped foot on it? Like, no, nope. nope, nope. just bought um, it sight unseen. Yep. Dawn, Dawn Sutton from, uh, um, well, Telegraph. She's, she's from the extended community as well. She, we bought it based on, you know, aerial photos and photos of the property. And, and we knew other properties in the area and she's like, Hey, I'll go down like two days after we bought it. She went down and walked the whole thing, videoed the whole thing. It was she had no reason to do that. And it was completely on her. I was like, it, it, I I will repay her somehow in kindness at some point. It, there's no reason for somebody to do that. And it meant so much to me. So yeah, it was really cool. That's fantastic. I'm excited. I can't wait that I, there's nothing I love more than a blank slate because I'm a planner and I love to like put things on paper. You know how you like plot your garden out, in you know in the winter well for us it's projects right so right last year i built this huge covered deck. anyway so in the winter time that's what gets us through these long miserable albertan winters is the uh prospects of being able to go outdoors in the hot sun and work your tail off all day that's right so did i hear that you were you planning a workshop for this summer or is that still on yeah. or yeah it is and i also found out something else really cool so, yes, we are going to have what we're calling, because any other name I tried to call it, nothing has stuck, but we're going to call it the workshop workshop. So, because <laughs> I like <you> know, it. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody calls it. So it's going to be the um, what is Heritage Day weekend here in Canada. So it's like August 5th and 6th, I believe, or 7th okay. and 8th that weekend. 
Um, it's going to be 200 bucks for the whole weekend. We're going to have some food involved. We're going to have, uh, well, Chris Dixon's going to be there um, teaching uh, metal, metalworking, you know, blacksmithing, that kind of stuff. Greg from the Apocalypse Preparedness School is going to come down and teach some survival skills. I'm working on a first aid guy. I've got a guy for bushcrafting that's coming. And there's some pretty cool speaker slash guests that I, th anyway, I think it's going to happen. So I'm pretty stoked. We're, so basically what I'm trying to do is a self-reliance festival North because there is nothing, we don't have anything like that here in Western Canada. So if nothing else, I want it to be a place where all of us crazy, you know, libertarian, you know, uh, anarchists, homesteaders, preppers can all kind of come together for two or three days and and realize there's more of us than we think, right? But the cool thing I found out is, as an American, because the biggest concern was, um, you know, certain statuses for people crossing the border or not, right? So I found out recently that Americans can come and go from the country without any need for... Um, vaccination status of any sort. So if that's a concern for anyone as an American, um, it's also going to be lifted soon anyway, but it's not a concern if you're an American citizen. You can leave the country and come back without proof or testing or anything. So that makes a big difference. Less, uh, less it's headache. a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Have you gotten uh, like a rough head count as to like who do you not like how I haven't even think it's going to show up? I don't know, somewhere between two and a hundred, I guess, but no, I, um, <laughs> tickets are going to go on sale March 1st. So okay. we'll see. I, you know, I, I'm a big believer in putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> so basically, you know, laying your soul bare, doing something and then, um, figuring it out on the way. Right. So for people who are like, I need to start a business, but I don't have a website. So once I get my website up, well, I'm a big fan of, you know, spending 10 minutes to put your name on a WordPress site and calling it a day and then figuring out the rest as you go. Cause that's what I've done all along with my entire content creation journey is I'm constantly trying new things that make me, that could make me look like an idiot, sometimes fail miserably, but guess what? They work in the end. So sure. even if only three people show up to this event the first time, not that they will, but even if they did, that's a success in my mind because I managed to put an event together and next year it'll be even bigger because, you know, if I get four people next year, it'll be even better. But no, that you, for people who people need to do that stuff because we, we so often get completely uh, blinded or lost in the fear of I'm not good enough. So don't do it. Just start and figure out the rest on the way. And if you do, you will get, excuse me, you will get way more done than you ever think is possible. Way bigger things done, but you just got to step out and start. And so that's, that's how I've lived at least the last three to four years. And it's, it's completely freed a lot of things we do. Like, it's very clear that you have that mindset because you kind of, uh, force it on other people as well like like nicely but because you're like you know we we've interacted here and there and 
I would be like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. You're like, that's awesome. Keep going. And you know, you had me on your, uh, 24 hour live yes, uh, show. That was awesome. Thank you for that. Which was like, it blew my mind that you even like would consider me. And I'm like, Hey, things change. And you're like, that's okay. You're still going, aren't you? Yep. Still going. Like you'll figure it out. So that, that kind of encouragement makes a big, makes a big deal. So I, I just, I want to, you know, there's a lot of people shitting on people. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, you know, you just go on TikTok for a minute and post one piece of content and you'll have 10 people telling you why you're doing it wrong. You're using the wrong video, why you're never going to succeed. But you know what? Those are the guys that if you look at them, they've never made a video. They don't know a thing about content creation. They've never started a business. So you know what they can do, right? So don't worry about them. But you know what? Guess what? I'll bet you remember the one time I encouraged you more than the 10 negative comments you get on TikTok, right? Because there's something powerful in encouraging other people. Yeah. And like I said, for me, I want to hear stories and I just want to see people do what they want to do. You know, I, I'm living my life now. Like this is, it is the craziest thing that I can get up in the morning and do whatever I want to do because I have built everything. My wife and I have, we've gone from having literally nothing to building a world where, you know what, if she doesn't want to go to the daycare today, she doesn't have to anymore. And guess what? When I get up in the morning, as long as it's not snowing, I mean, I'm going to do a lot of stuff, but I can literally do anything I want for a week straight and it doesn't matter because I have the freedom to do that now. And that's from a whole bunch of other people pushing me, my wife, number one, you know, Jack Spirico, Nicole sauce and watching all these other people do it. And all of a sudden I got to this point where it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was a lot of long days and a lot of hard work, but you know, so I want other people to have that because the whole, and without sounding negative, there's a huge mindset of, I won't even bother. Why would I bother? You know, the the whole world's against me or the system's against me or, you know, I can't start content creation because YouTube's been around for 20 years and everything that's been done has been already. Well, no, guess what? I promise you it has nothing to do with content. It has to do with the person teaching it. So if you're thinking about doing it, do it because you are going to click with 100 people that they're not going to click with anybody else. So just start and figure, you know, you'll figure it out. Look for, surround yourself with people who are at your level or a little higher, you know, um, because what do they say? You become, you become who you hang out with. So find people that you want to emulate. Even if you can't interact with them personally, figure out how to have them mentor you through listening to their content or watching their videos or just living by their example, right? Yeah. But yeah, that's, I live to see people succeed because there's too many people there's too many must be nice or, oh, I only wish that people out there. So, you know, yeah, you know what? It, it must be nice because you work your tail off for a lot of years and you get success from it and anybody can do it. That's the crazy thing about living in North America is if you wake up tomorrow and decide you want to build a successful business, well, the only one stopping you is you. You know, you we've all got the same amount of time in our day and figure it out, make it work. And just stop making excuses because all an excuse is, is giving you a reason not to do something. So, right. Right. It's just your rationale, just like giving you, giving you an out kind of like, and it could work the other way too. Like, I know I shouldn't do something, but I could make, like, I could rationalize it into talking myself to to do it kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do it too. 
Absolutely. I, yeah. My dad there, I always remember uh, Mr. Den Hollander. He was the first pastor I remember as a kid growing up. And he, one, I don't know why I remember this, but he always used to tell my dad that people always make enough time for the things that are important to them. You know, so for me, I, I can never get this to show up here, but well, there it is. My Blue Jays tattoo, right? So I love the Jays, but you know what? Watching ho- baseball is like a three to four hour a night commitment. So I just give up watching them and turned it into my business and my content. And, you know, that's like saying, if you give up your latte, you can have an RRSP that you can retire off of. Well, I get it, but you have to find it somewhere, right? So, yeah, you know, if, if baseball was important to me, I watched baseball. Now, you know, um, finding freedom and independence in my life was important. So I turned it into content creation, a business, and now my wife's business. So, yeah, you, you find time for what you want. And if you want to find success and, and, you know, more, maybe not even success, but personal fulfillment, you can just quit making excuses. (laughs) And I still do it. So I'm not perfect. My wife slaps me all the time and says, yeah, Tim, you can do that. Even though I say I can. And then she's like, yeah, just do it, hon. You can. (laughs) I don't know why you're talking yourself out of it. Might as well, you could be half done by now. I know. I literally sided an entire house by myself without a single piece of help. And I wasn't going to do it because I didn't think I could. And then I did it. And I was like, honestly, I know I brag about that all the time. That is like one of the greatest accomplishments of my life for some stupid reason. And it gave me That's so hard. Much that is hard. Yeah. Yeah. 12 foot pieces of vinyl siding in the middle of summer and to figure out how to get them up without kinking them. Yeah. Anyway, it was no so thanks. if I could do that, you can do it. Pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I loved it. And now every day I step outside and I look at my house, I'm like, huh, I did that. I'm okay, you know? <laughs> there you go. Uh, Chicken Hawk Farmstead asks, would there be a remote ticket for people that can't make it in person? Talking about the uh, workshop, workshop. Sure. <laughs> Just yes. Yeah. F- figure it out, yeah. You know, if people want to give you money, don't ever say no, right? Like, you, you'll figure it out. You know, if people, people ask me when I sold the silver or the patches, like, well, I still sell the patches, but you know, do you take crypto? Well, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it, but it, yeah. yeah, no, you, you make it work, right? You, you figure it away, and yeah, 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 you just just figure it out as you go. Well, Tim, was there anything else that you wanted to cover that we didn't already talk about? Oh, I'm. Uh, I think I. I mean, I we could be fun. here all night. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I sometimes I need to rein myself in because I have some. No, I've loved this. This yeah, has been I, awesome. This was a lot of fun for me too, because this is a different, it was a slightly different side of my story that I didn't know. I don't always get to tell, or I don't always revisit as often as maybe I should, because it's, it's pretty cool to, you know, you might think about, you know, I always remember about coming from Alberta, but you, you don't go back and think about all the little steps that, you know, built you along your kind of self reliance and homesteading journey. And it's fun. I enjoyed it. Made you who you are. Yeah, yeah. It, that's the cool thing. I, I'm talking to somebody the other day and, you know, uh, oh, it was RZ. He was on my show the other night and he he said, um, absolutely everything that has happened to you or me up till this moment has brought me to the exact point where you and I are talking right now. So no matter what you did in your life, every decision you made has brought me to this point. There's nothing else you can do about it. Now that's not fatal determinism or anything. It just means that everything you've done in your life has made you 
into the person you are and brought you along the journey that the two of us are here talking about encouraging one another to do great things. So, yeah. Love it. Love your, uh, you got your website here. I got your pluggables here. Toolmantim.co. Yep. That's it. You're, you're on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, uh, and you're on Fountain FM podcast player along with all the others, but yes. And the easiest or the best way I think is telegram. We have our telegram group. I love it. I wasn't even going to start a telegram group. And then I seen, um, Amy Dingman, how great her group was. And then we had the fireside freedom for a while. I, and if you're like, I don't need another social platform, I'm telling you, telegram is where it's, it's different. It's it is different. different. It is, it is a legit community. That's the difference because you, you go in, you know, I know that every morning Robin's going to be in there and post, you know, what she's doing today, what time of day it is, the weather, you know, and I know that it, you know, if somebody comes in and says, I, I don't know what to do with this business thing. You know, Clark is a 22 year old kid in, he's got two kids, he's married, he lives in Saskatchewan and he is an entrepreneur at 22. Like, how cool is that? That's so you've got all ass. these doers in here at all different stages of their life where they encourage one another and we're like, hey, I need an, I need help with this. So let's post it. You know, we might not be, we might not have a thousand messages a day, but the content, you know, if, if it's not funny memes, it's going to be uh, encouraging stuff. So yeah, if, uh, if all other social media is just brain drain, you probably enjoy Telegram for actual like uh, involvement and just engagement. If I had to give up all social media and only keep one, it would be Telegram, hands down. I love it. It's the best way to keep in contact, real contact with people, I think. You, you get like the there's, so. yeah, you get conversations there that you don't get like on the bigger social medias because people are like, you I don't want to post this. No, no, exactly. And keep I, this private. You know, it might not be completely encrypted like say Signal is, but the sure. user experience on Telegram is a thousand times better than Signal. So I, I really like it. Yes, and agreed. The patch of the month club—that's my baby right now. I love it. We—I don't have any here to show you, but um, I needed a way. People were like, "We need to support you, Tim. How do we support you?" And so I started doing um, Velcro patches. You know, morale patches—a little two by yeah. three patches. So every single month, I have one. This month was uh, shoot, shovel, and shut up. That's what it said on it, little green patch. And yeah, so they're always—they're usually a little politic politically incorrect, but they're humorous. And they usually have to do with prepping or something. I got a real good one for not, well, I mean, this month is going to be good, but I got a really cool one coming up in two months. But yeah, it's 10 bucks a year, 10 bucks a month or $100 a year at patchofthemonth.co. And uh, yeah, it, I, I love it. It's fun doing. I love sending them out. I love seeing the big stack of envelopes go out every month. And it it's done a lot better than I even expected it to so far. So Awesome. Well, hey, uh, thanks for being on, Tim. I've really enjoyed this. And We'll keep in touch for sure. Maybe I'll see you at the workshop workshop. Absolutely. Anytime, man. All right. This has been Farm Hop Life Podcast. Check us out. Farm Hop Life. Farmhoplife.com. See ya. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a house and a homestead, thinking this was the life. All that.
when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. You'll come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and there will.